I joked first service, and I always feel weird saying the same joke again. It feels very staged, but I'll do it anyway. Um, I joked first service that the deacons are really who runs the show here, and you can tell because they were able to sneak up and get an announcement in, and we have a very formal process for making announcements here, and they were able to circumvent it. So uh, they really run the show, and we're very thankful for them as well and their hard work uh, loving on our church body. Um, and then I was also joking, I just, I really don't like making the same jokes over and over. It feels really strange. But I also joked that the band actually stole my whole sermon today. Um, they did a really good job of sharing about forgiveness and teaching on forgiveness through song. Um, so they do that every week. They teach theology through their songs. Uh, and this week, I felt like they stole my sermon. My name's Joey. I'm one of the pastors here uh, at the church, like Jason was just saying. Uh, we've got three full-time staff members of the church. We've got Dave, who's hiking the Grand Canyon. We've got Chris, who you saw leading worship, and then uh, myself as well. Um, Dave is hiking the Grand Canyon rim to rim. Has anyone ever done that before? No? No one? Okay. It sounds scary. I don't really know much about it, um, but they've been training a lot, so we were told not to be scared because they've been working on making sure uh, that they can do it. But I don't think training around uh, Harker Heights in Colleen, Texas is probably quite the same as the Grand Canyon's going to be. So hopefully, I've heard nothing from him. I don't know if anyone else has heard anything from him. So hopefully they're doing great and enjoying their time uh, away together. Uh, we're going to continue our series called Scandalous Wisdom today. It's a series uh, through the book of Proverbs looking at what Scripture has to say about different topics uh, and the word topics there is key because it's a topical sermon series, which is different for us. If you are normally with us, you know we do what's called exegetical sermons or exegetical preaching. We go through one book of the Bible from start uh, to finish. We work through it. Uh, we see what the text would have to say. And topical is slightly different in that we're still looking at what Scripture has to say about something, um, but we're actually looking at several different topics and maybe seeing what the whole of a book of the Bible says about it, or what the whole uh, of the Bible would say about something. So this series is more of what Proverbs has to say about different topics. So we've talked about um, things like sex. We've talked about things like faithfulness. Um, we've talked things about truth, about how to use our words, um, how to work, how to be wise friends. And all of this, and this is why it's called Scandalous Wisdom, is kind of crazy and could look crazy to outsiders, um, to people who aren't Christ followers. It's often radically different than what the world would say is wise to do. And it's always convenient when Dave's out of town uh, and when he's gone that he leaves something that's interesting in one way or the other for somebody to do. I think last time I preached, I told you it was interesting because it was this big old section uh, and this crazy passage. And this time, I think it's crazy because it's the book of Proverbs on the topic of forgiveness, which seems simple enough. But as I was preparing, I read through the book of Proverbs multiple times. I was like, man, where is forgiveness in here? And then I grabbed a bunch of commentaries, and I was reading them. I'm like, okay, someone's going to talk about forgiveness in the book of Proverbs. And it's not there. And so I was like, okay, I'll go tried and true. Dave has been talking about this Kidner commentary every single week. He quotes Kidner. And so I grab it, and I'm looking through. I'm like, okay, yep, there's the topic, the chapter on sex. Yep, the chapter on faithfulness, the chapter on um, truth, the chapter on our works, our words. Like, he's got a chapter on all of them and no chapter on forgiveness. I'm like, okay, something is going on here. 
um, that I'm missing. It's barely even here. Did Dave just make this up? Did he go, okay, uh, forgiveness would be a good topic to talk about. It's got to be in the book of Proverbs somewhere. Did he assume it was here? Um, But Proverbs, one of the main themes is justice and forgiveness. I wonder if it even really is just. So I'm digging and I'm digging and I can't find it. And do you all know how many times the word forgiveness is in the book of Proverbs? I might have spoiled it for you. Zero. It's not even there. The word forgiveness is not even in the book of Proverbs. Um, so there are a few verses. I'll tell you, I was, I was looking, I found them. There are maybe five or so verses that kind of hint towards forgiveness. And several of them, two sets of them, are just repeats of another place in Proverbs. So I just couldn't find it. I was working hard. Um, I was like, okay, well, there's the famous one, love covers a multitude of sin. I guess that's there. But if I couldn't find it, I had to pause and say, well, what am I, I looking for? Well, I was looking for prescriptive texts, texts that tell you what to do, right? That's what we've had a lot in Proverbs as we've been studying it. My son, go and do this, or my son, do that. And so I was looking for my son, forgive others, right? Um, it wasn't really there. So today's sermon Uh, As I look through the book of Proverbs, I'm calling it the mercy of forgiveness. And what we'll see today is that forgiveness in Proverbs, as we see it, is actually descriptive. It's not really prescriptive the way I was looking. And instead of telling us to forgive, we get a picture of what forgiveness looks like. Uh, And spoiler alert, it's about God's mercy in forgiving us. His suspending the penalty, His covering over our sins. So you could turn to your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 28. If you're borrowing one of the Bibles from the pews in front of you, it's on page 549. And as you turn there, I want to tell you a story that Charles Spurgeon used to tell of a great man who was once taken to see the French galley slaves, which are convicted criminals um, sentenced to work at the oar to row large ships. And this man had been given the authority to set free any man whom he found at the galleys to whom he cared to give his liberty. So he went to one man, and he found that he was committed for ten years. And he asked him about his crime. He said that he thought he'd been treated very unfairly. He didn't know that what he had done caused much amiss. Perhaps he had once or twice taken a little that wasn't his, but the temptation to which he had yielded was very strong, and he'd done so much good in other ways that he really thought he was very harshly treated in being sent to the galleys. So the gentleman passed by him. He was too good of a man to receive free pardon. There was another who said that he was perfectly innocent. He even swore that he was as innocent as a newborn baby of every accusation that had been brought against him. The gentleman also passed by him, for he too was too good to be freely forgiven. Then he came to another who said that he might have tripped, perhaps, but much more was made of it than was actually true. And and there were liars in the court, And perjury had been committed by a great many number of witnesses against him. And he knew a great many men who were twice as bad as he was. Yet they were still at liberty while he was there in chains. That man was also not to be pardoned. Hugh of of St. Victor talks on forgiveness. He says, Between us and God, we had caused a breach by our sins. And God was the first to apply the remedy. He sends us his ambassadors, to call us, the offenders, back to peace. He says, let us blush then for our pride 
and let it cause us shame to think we're unwilling to make amends to our neighbor, seeing that God himself, whom we offended, has come forward in the person of his messengers to ask us to be reconciled to him. If you're able, would you stand with me in reverence and honor for the reading of God's word? This is the word of the Lord from the book of Proverbs, chapter 28, verses 13 and 14. It reads, Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Pray with me. Father, we thank you that you're good and that you love us, that you show us mercy in not giving us what we deserve. We ask that you would teach us about forgiveness, what it looks like for us to be forgiven, and what it looks like for us to forgive others. Be with us and guide us. It's in your Son's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Today, as we look at forgiveness, the mercy of forgiveness, we're going to see three things uh, from the whole of the book of Proverbs. And we'll base our stay here in chapter 28, but we'll jump to other places and take a look. First, we'll see that forgiveness requires confessing sin, that it, we need to admit our fault, and we need to turn away from our sins. Second, we'll see that forgiveness requires the cross, and that He is faithful, He's just, He's full of mercy, and He's kind to forgive us and to save us. And then finally, we'll see that forgiveness requires covering sin. That just as our sin has been covered at the cross, that we're called to, in love, cover others' sins. So the first point, forgiveness requires confessing sin. Before we look back at our main text, I want to look at Proverbs 20, verse 9. It says, Who can say, I've made my heart pure, I am clean from my sin? Obviously, this is rhetorical, right? The answer is no one. No one can clean themselves from sin. No one can be perfect. But what do we do? We pretend to be. We hide or we conceal our sins. Whether that's completely or making them to seem not quite as bad as they are. We say we're clean, maybe, but that would just make us liars who are deceiving themselves because we can't do it on our own. So we look back to 28.13. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. 28.13 has something to say about that pretending, that hiding, that concealing of sins, of transgressions. It'll cause you not to prosper. And it's an understatement, right? He's uh, understating it for effect. He's saying it lightly. Whoever conceals a sin will face punishment. They'll face the punishment of it. Whoever conceals his sin will be undone, will face death, not just in this life, but in the life to come as well. But 28.13 also gives us the opposite in that second half. What is the opposite of concealing or hiding our sins? It's confessing them and forsaking them. But what even is 
confession, right? We do this every Sunday together, right? Someone comes up after the second song and tells us to pray silently and talk to God and um, to confess, right? Well, confession, you'll hear us say sometimes, is agreeing with God about what he says about us. It's admitting that we failed to meet up to his perfect standards, that we failed to think, say, and do things that please him, and that we've actively thought, said, and done things that displease him. True confession involves, like the text says, giving up of our sinful ways. Does it mean you're perfect? No. But it's an act of trust and an act of obedience. Jesus tells a story of a young man who had a father who was wealthy, and he didn't really want to stay with that father anymore. He thought he'd be better off having his inheritance, having his money, and leaving on his own. He wanted to go out to have a good time. So he asked his father just for that. Give me my inheritance now. Let me go on my way and leave me at peace. And so the father says that he would do just that. And a few days later, the young man leaves and he goes out and he begins spending the father's money, spending his inheritance. And he spends it on poor living. He spends it on bad decisions. He wastes his money. He lives frivolously. And shortly after, a famine hits the land and he has no more money, and he has no more food. So he goes and he asks a servant of the land if he could work on his farm. And the man gives him a job working with the pigs. And as Jesus tells the story, he says that the man becomes so hungry that he wants to eat the pig's slop. And Luke 15 continues on by saying, But when that man came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? He says, I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. He plans to go back to his father, go down on his knees and beg for forgiveness, to admit that what he's done agrees with what the Father would say about him. To confess his sins, to turn from his ways, and to return to his Father. That's his plan. Ambrose of Milan offers this on confession. He says, The Lord knows all things, but he waits for your words. Not that he may punish, but that he may pardon. It's not his will that the devil should triumph over you and accuse you when you conceal your sins. He says to be beforehand with your accuser. If you accuse yourself, you'll fear no accuser. If you report yourself, though you were dead, you shall live. Are you confessing your sins to God? Are you confessing your sins to others? Who do you need to confess to this week? Do you actually confess daily? Do you even do it with us on Sundays, or do you just Sit there quietly because everyone's being quiet. What about you kids? Do you admit when you're wrong? Or do you try and hide your sin like this is talking about? Do you try and conceal your sins, conceal one lie with another? And when you realize you've done something wrong, when you've disobeyed, when you've disobeyed God or disobeyed your parents, do you talk to them about it? Do you confess? Do you ask for forgiveness? See, like we said, confession involves admitting what you've done. It's agreeing with God about your status before him. It's calling out to him. 
turning towards him, forsaking what's behind. But confession alone does nothing. The penalty still has to be paid. You see, forgiveness requires the cross. It's our second point. And I told a story about a confessing man, but there's another man, a man who paid our penalty. A man who came and he met the requirement of perfection. A man who was more than just a man. He was God made flesh. He was Emmanuel, God with us. And he lived the perfect life that we couldn't live. He was tempted in every way, yet he was without sin. A man who made himself nothing, who humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. See, he died the death that we deserved. He took the penalty that we deserved. He rose to life, and he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. He's ever living, and he's pleading for us. So that we have no more guilt. We have no more shame. He's faithful and just. Kind and full of mercy to forgive us. And to save us. Let's look back at Proverbs 28, 13 and 14. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always. But whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. So that when we confess our sins, when we forsake them, we can find mercy. We cannot get what we deserve. We can find forgiveness instead. See, he's faithful and he's just. And he promises that if we confess... He will forgive us of all of our unrighteousness. That He will grant us mercy. That He'll withhold the punishment that we rightly deserve. He'll satisfy the Father's demand for justice. And also look at Proverbs 16.6. It says, By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord... One turns away from evil. But whose steadfast love? Whose faithfulness? Is it ours? Can we be faithful and love enough to cleanse ourselves from iniquity? If we work hard enough, will it work? No. By no means. It's by His steadfast love and His faithfulness that iniquity is atoned for. And it's by the same that we're able to forsake our sins and turn away from evil. Brother Lawrence of the Reformation talks on mercy shown to us through the cross. He says it like this. He says, I consider myself as the most wretched of men, full of sores and corruption, and as one who has committed all sorts of crimes against his king. Moved with deep sorrow, I confess to him all my wickedness. I ask his forgiveness I abandon myself in his hands that he may do with me what he pleases. This king, full of mercy and goodness, very far from chastising me, embraces me with love, makes me to eat at his table, serves me with his own hands, gives me the keys of his treasures. 
He converses and delights himself with me unceasingly in a thousand and a thousand ways, and he treats me in all respects as his favorite. It is thus that I consider myself from time to time in his holy presence. Have you placed your sins at the foot of the cross? Have you forsaken all that's behind, and are you running the race that's set before you? Are you running it in a manner that you would win the prize? Are you living like someone who's been forgiven by a king who's full of mercy and goodness? How would you act differently if you really believe this? So we confess, we admit our sins to God, to others. We ask for forgiveness, and he's faithful and merciful to forgive us. He's faithful to cover our sins, like the text says, to wipe them out as far as the east is from the west. But what about those who have wronged me? Those who don't ask for my forgiveness? Well, Proverbs talks about that too. See, forgiveness also requires covering sin. Back to our text, verse 14. It says, Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. Hardens his heart, doesn't confess, doesn't forgive. Again, that trouble, that calamity, that's in the ultimate sense. It's at the end of days. Proverbs 24, 28, and 29 talks about being a witness. It says, Be not a witness against your neighbor without cause. Do not deceive with your lips. Do not say, I will do to him as he has done to me. I will pay back for what he has done. Sometimes forgiveness means not getting vengeance. It means not saying, I'll pay him back for this, for what he's done to me. Proverbs 10, 12, and 17, 9 kind of talk similarly. This is that famous one I was telling you about, right? The one everybody knows, forgiveness in Proverbs. Maybe you memorized Peter's version of it, right? Love covers a multitude of sins. But what happens when we don't forgive? Let's read 10.12 and 17.9. 10.12 says, Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. And 17.9, Whoever covers an offense seeks love. And then it goes on to talk about what happens if we don't cover an offense. says, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends, builds up walls. The 1911, the final one that's similar uh, to this same text, it says, good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is glory to overlook an offense. Good encouragement to be slow to anger, to forgive quickly, and to take glory and honor in overlooking someone else's offense, to cover it like Christ has covered your offense. See, like we talked about in confession, there's the same word, but it's used differently when it's talking about the wrong way to use it and the good way to use it. That same word is either concealing when it's about our own sins, and that's bad in the text, but it's called covering when it's over other sin, and that's an emphasis on its goodness. Jesus tells another parable of an unforgiving servant. It's a story, he says, about what the kingdom of heaven is like. 
He says, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who wishes to settle accounts with his servants. So he approaches his servants and asks them to pay their debts. Jesus says that there's a servant who owed many thousands of dollars to his master, to the king. And when the king comes to accept that debt, to take it from him, to receive his payment, the man knows he can't pay it. So Matthew 18 tells us that the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, imploring his master, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Tell us that out of pity for that man, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. He wiped it clean. But that man, when he left, when that servant left, and he went out from that place, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him just a hundred denarii. And he seized him, and him began to choke him, saying, Pay me what you owe. He was forgiven much, but he couldn't forgive his neighbor. John Owens says, Our forgiving of others will not produce forgiveness for ourselves. That's not how it works. But our not forgiving of others, he says, proves that we ourselves are not forgiven. And I get it. Forgiveness is hard. Sometimes we've been hurt badly. We're not excusing wrongdoing by forgiving. Victor Marx talks about what it is and isn't to forgive. And he describes it this way. He says, forgiveness is not denying the hurt. It's filling the hurt and releasing it to God. He says, forgiveness is not circumventing God's justice, but it's allowing him to execute his justice in his time and in his way. He says, forgiveness is not letting the guilty off the hook. It's moving the guilty from your hook to God's hook. He says, forgiveness isn't forgetting. It's necessary to remember before you can forgive. Forgiveness is also not explaining away the hurt. It's working through the hurt. He also says it's not not the same as reconciliation because it takes two to reconcile, but it only takes one to forgive. Have you been forgiven much? And if you have, are you loving others by forgiving much? Where in your life do you need to be slower to anger? Who sinned against you? Who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to do to this week? And if you can't forgive, if it feels impossible to forgive, if the hurt is too strong, and you need someone to come alongside you to help you work through that, Celebrate Recovery meets here every Monday night and they would love to work through that with you. You see, like we talked about, we can cover other sins. That's good. It's what we're called to do. But we can't conceal our own sins. We can't forgive our own sins. That requires something else. It requires someone else. It requires perfection. Someone who could be perfect on our behalf, who could ultimately cover our sins. That was found at the cross. In Jesus, in his mercy, he does that. And in doing that, he also calls us to love our neighbors by forgiving them, by overlooking the wrong they do to us. He allows us to cover their sins somewhat, not in the ultimate sense. I'm not actually the best storyteller, so I forgot to tell you the end of one of my stories. It's the one about the son who came back to his father and confessed. 
You see, when he confesses, the father doesn't just look at him coldly. He doesn't forgive him, but make him a servant like he asks. The father loves him fully. The father feels compassion towards him. And he welcomes him home. Let me tell you what the text says. It says, The boy arose, or the young man arose, and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. And he ran to him and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. And they began to celebrate. The other story I didn't finish for you yet is Spurgeon's story of the man visiting the convicted felons. See, he continued to meet the convicts and to talk to them. And at last, that visitor comes to a poor fellow who says to him, I have a long sentence to serve, but I fully deserve even more than that sentence. I wonder that I was not condemned to death, for had they proceeded to extremities, they might have proved me guilty of murder. So I look upon my sentence as much lighter than I really deserve to suffer. Then he, who had received the authority to pardon whom he had pleased, said, I pardon you, for according to your own confession, you appear to be the only man in this whole place who's really receiving justice. And therefore, I will show you mercy. So you may go your way as a free man. He goes on in a like like manner to say that the Lord Jesus is always ready to bestow his mercy upon those who confess that they deserve the heaviest sentence of justice. But as long as we kick against that, we can't expect him to look upon us in love. Another time, Charles Spurgeon described it like this. He says, Let all the world know that the Lord Jesus will not cast away his believing people because of shortcomings and infirmities. The husband does not put away his wife because he finds failings in her. The mother does not forsake her infant because it is weak, feeble, and ignorant. And the Lord Christ does not cast off poor sinners who have committed their souls into his hands because he sees in them blemishes and imperfections. Oh no, it's his glory to pass over the faults of his people and to heal their backslidings, to make much of their weak graces and to pardon their many faults. See, forgiveness is found in Jesus. Confess your sins because he's faithful to forgive. He calls you to forgive others because you've been forgiven. If you haven't for, uh, experienced this radical forgiveness, if you don't know this forgiveness, if you don't know this Jesus, we're going to have a couple up at the front at the end of the service. Come and talk to them. They would love to talk to you about Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you forgive, that you love us, that in your mercy you cover our sins and cast them as far as the east is from the west. We ask that you would be with us as we strive to be like you and to forgive others. We ask that because of your love, we would love others well. 
It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.